Welcome everybody to episode 8 of Dane Interviews, the show that has no recording schedule whatsoever. I cannot believe it's 8 episodes soon. In 2 episodes, it'll be 10. It's, it's crazy. But today, we have a good one for you. Filmmaker, director of Live from the Space Stage, and Remain Seated Please, is joining us. Matthew Serrano is here, and we get into his short film. He has a new one called... Grace swallowed her phone, and we'll get more into that into the interview. Anyway, enough of this. Let's get into the interview right now with director of Grace Swallowed Her Phone and Live from the Space Stage, a Helix story, Matthew Shaw. I already did my intro, so <laughs> it doesn't need it again. But Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good. I I've wanted to have you on for like a solid. Well, it hasn't been a year since the doc came out. I think two months. It's coming right? close. August? Yeah, two more months, and then it'll be a year. I ha well, I wanted to have you on when it first came out, but you got back to me and said that Kevin does all your like all your interview prep stuff so i was like kevin's not gonna get back to me so let's just wait for this to die down a little bit the you know the the interview circuit yeah but now you got me you finally nailed me down that's true you did All a right. lot of interviews did you did a lot of press right you did uh yeah what were some you did theme park stomp podcast i believe that's right i did were there there were a whole bunch Recent two recent ones that I did was I did a great podcast called Tramon, and I also did another great podcast called Girls Off the Rails. Oh, you also went on a on a Sirius XM show, right? On Volume. That's right. Yeah, me and Kevin both got invited to do that. Volume West. I never got to listen to that because uh, I don't have Sirius FM, but uh, it's all it's there's a recording somewhere. They uh they have it on on demand. A couple months after they've taken it off now i've searched for it believe me oh, i want to listen to it again but <laughs> but yeah i was it was funny i had lexi on and when the the doc first came out and i was telling her about this i was in class and i was just scrolling through sirius xm and i saw matthew serrano and kevin perger i was like wait a minute <laughs> something's not right here this isn't i know them but they're not supposed to be on this app <laughs> No, that's supposed to be on the radio. Yep. Yeah. And yet here we were. That's true. So let's get into it. When did you first get into Disney? Uh, I first got into Disney like really young age. Um, my family had like a really extensive VHS collection of like all the Disney uh, movies, which we still have. There's like a giant cabinet where we have all of them like stashed away. And it's the same cabinet that I would like climb up on to <laughs> grab Disney movies yeah. from that and um like i would i was going to disneyland from like a really young age i think one of like my earliest or not earliest memories but i think like the first time i was ever brought to disneyland i think my grandma from el salvador was visiting because i think my mom was like yeah your abuela uh had you on her lap while you're going through pirates of the caribbean so i've been like a disney fan for a really long time now definitely over two decades now at least yeah. what's your favorite theme park besides disney universal 
Yeah, I love Universal. Um, okay. I've also been really getting into like uh, other theme parks as well. Like I just did my first trip to a Six Flags the other day. I went to Six Flags Magic Mountain and that was really fun. And then um, I've been really getting into Knott's Berry Farm. Um, I love all the attractions there. I love the history. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm has a really rich history, which I really appreciate. I love um, not just like the theme parks themselves, but also like the history behind them. That's how I got into them in the first place because Disney's history is so rich and uh, so easily accessible too. It's true. What about that theme park? Uh, what's it called now? It was supposed to be the 21st Century Fox theme park. I forget what it's called. Yes. Um, it's now called uh, uh, Genting Sky Worlds That's in it. Malaysia. When's the doc coming out on that? <laughs> you tell me. Um, I would love to make a doc on the complicated history of the making of that park although i doubt that anyone would let me do that yeah that's <laughs> um, true copywriting would be terrible on that especially because it's like such a complicated story and it involves disney and fox and this uh, company genting uh genting sky worlds that does resorts in uh asian countries but it is such an interesting story it would be cool to cover yeah that would if if anyone who has the power please make a doc on that because that's a great topic yeah seriously you mentioned before that you've been going to disneyland since you were like five years old this is probably an easy question but you've been to epcot you've been to disney world before which one do you like better disneyland or disney world oh disneyland without question um i it's funny my girlfriend brie uh once described disney world to me as dyslexic disneyland and (laughs) i feel like that is extremely accurate um disneyland is just better in just every way and it's funny how people will say oh well disney world's bigger and it's like well in my opinion that's actually like its biggest downfall um there's nothing better than just being able to walk into disneyland and within two hours, be able to ride like two rides and then leave. Whereas at Walt Disney World, it takes two hours to get to a ride from yeah. getting into the parks and getting on the monorail or whatever yeah. transportation system and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely prefer Disneyland to Walt Disney World. Yeah. And it's in like the middle of, you know, Disney World is like its own like island in the middle of Orlando where disneyland is just in the middle of everything so if you live close it's so easy to get there and just you know go home after two hours or something yeah like that. that's so fun about disneyland and i hope that they bring back the passes because that was the biggest appeal for everybody is the fact that like you can meet up with your friends there it's really hard right now whenever you have to buy a ticket you have to basically like coordinate with everyone like okay when do you get off work you know what day works for you like everyone's so busy it's it it makes that organicness so impossible <clears throat> that's what was nice about um i was able to go on opening day of disneyland and because so many other people were planning on going opening day mm-hmm. that actually allowed me to see a lot of people that i know and so, so got that little bit that, of that organicness how was that going back to disneyland just what was the feel i i everyone knows the terrible you know <laughs> getting tickets were terrible but what was the feel of uh opening day back to disneyland it was really cool. It was super exciting. Um, uh, everyone there was so you could tell like er- the energy was so good because everyone there was so grateful to be there yeah. uh, from the workers all the way to the the guests. And um, like I was saying, like it was 
it was so cool, like being able to organically just like run into people that, you know, that were there also, um, all the rides were fu- uh, like working better than ever. Um, there was not like a, there wasn't a single problem with any of the attractions that we went on. The food was amazing. Um, so yeah, the experience was really awesome. How early did you have to be there? Cause like uh, some people too, were, weren't they early. like lining up at like five in the morning or something crazy like that? Yeah. And those people completely wasted their time because we all got in at the same time. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like now I, I, the lines are so insane. And I think that there's so many people that are going that don't realize you have to get a reservation. And so I think that might be slowing down lines now, but like in the first month, like you could just roll up like 30 minutes before the park opened and you would get in at the same time as the 5am crowd. It really did not make a difference. How was it being back at DCA? Because you, you know, people were back prior to the actual opening because of, um, Oh my God. What was that called? Taste, taste of, yes, taste of uh, Disney. There's the, there's the, they're a touch of Disney, and then touch also they had Buena Vista Street just like open, you know, that you could just like walk into. Yeah. Um, and um, I took like full advantage of that when it was like free to go into. Um, I totally took advantage of it. Uh, got free parking every way that I can, and would just work at Buena Vista Street, and that was a really nice uh, part of the pandemic era for me. Um, so yeah, like once DCA opened up, it was weird. It really wasn't as special as Disney was. Yeah. Um, Disney felt like it was so crazy. It felt like, um, everything like the the play button got pressed and like life was back to normal and everything was resuming to the way that it was. Whereas DCA was like, oh yeah, well I've already been hanging out here for the past year. (laughs) So it wasn't as like, whoa, this is like mind blowing that everything's back. If anything, I think the coolest thing was when they were doing touch of disney and me and my girlfriend got to eat at lamplight lounge i think that was like the most like i think that was our moment of like wow dca is back that we got it wasn't necessarily from going to the parks when it was open that makes sense so uh, disney is obviously a big part of your life but you're another thing that is huge in your life is filmmaking so when did you know that you wanted to be a filmmaker and when was that time that you went yes i i would like to do this someday it's so funny that you're mentioning universal earlier because the credit actually does go to universal but it's kind of it's kind of like a a long story but i'll cut it short it was like you know when i was a kid you know i I grew up watching you know walt disney cartoons and and the animated movies and so i thought oh i want to draw you know, or, or, or I was reading, I would read like raw doll illustrated books. And I thought I wanted to draw. And then watching the Disney movies, I was like, no, I want to be an animator. And it just kept evolving from there. You know, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and Castle in the Sky. And I was like, oh, I want to be a storyteller. And then I saw Raiders and I was like, wait, no, I want to like, this is cool. Like maybe I want to get into filmmaking. And then YouTube was rising in popularity. And suddenly it became this thing of like, oh yeah, like you can make movies and like put them on youtube and millions of people around the world will will see them you can make like whatever little videos you want and it doesn't even matter the quality and that was like mind-blowing mm-hmm. to us as kids uh but the problem was like while everyone else around me was doing that like i had no access to an editing software i didn't even have like an hd camera on hand to do that stuff um so it wasn't until middle school in the eighth grade when i joined my tv production class 
that I really started doing a lot of that stuff. And uh, I self-taught myself editing, um, which blew my teacher's mind because I remember um, a teacher in high school was like, how do you know how to esc- uh, how to uh, L cut and J cut? And I was like, <laughs> what's that? And he was like, <laughs> yeah. he was like, that's like advanced editing theory. Like, how do you know how to just do that naturally? And I was like, I don't know. I watch a lot of movies. They do that in movies. So I just knew how to do that. Um, but yeah, in eighth grade, I just went crazy just making stuff for a TV production class and stuff mm-hmm. outside of class with friends. And the end of the year field trip was a trip to Universal Studios Hollywood. And when I got there and I saw that there was this place that was dedicated to the love of movies and movie making, it uh, blew my mind. And it was like it was the thing that sealed the deal because finally it wasn't just something that I saw in bonus features on DVDs. It was yeah. real. There was a place. There is there was a place that people came together and did this stuff. Was it the back lot that did that for you or was it just being at Universal? I think I think it was definitely the studio tour. Okay. Definitely going on the studio tour and seeing like here's all these sets and here's all these office buildings and seeing people walking around and getting set up for filming because there was real filming going on like all of that stuff it was like yeah okay this is something that i've wanted to do and now i know that there's a place to do it and people that do this and i don't want to work anywhere else or do anything else this is what i want to do with my life did you go to disney world when you were younger and did mgm studios play into that too um the funny thing about disney world i had only been to disney world uh once prior to my recent trip and that was mm-hmm. when I was like very young, like I think I was four years old. And uh, we had, uh, I think we might have gone to MGM, but I was way too young to remember it. Yeah. Uh, we went to Epcot. I know that we went to Epcot and Animal Kingdom though. And I love those. Um, my parents took me into Magic Kingdom and I started crying and screaming uncontrollably <laughs> on Main Street because yeah. it wasn't it wasn't right. Everything was wrong. Because oh, in my mind, I was yeah. like, wait, this is di- dyslex- going back to dyslexic yeah. Disneyland. Four-year-old Matt could not process the fact that it looked like mainstream of Disneyland, but everything was wrong. When it, the and that made me freak right. out. Yeah. And so literally my parents had to give our tickets to somebody else. I did enjoy Epcot and Animal Kingdom, Kingdom though, because <laughs> those were, you know, completely different. Did you go into, do you remember Horizons? Or is that the only thing that you remember from that trip? You know, when I went to Epcot, uh, Horizons would have been closed. Okay. All right. So it was like, it was like 2000 right after Hoot and Chief, somewhere around there. Yeah, probably like 2000, 2001, somewhere around that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. (laughs) That's so sad. That would have been epic if you would have said like. I know. How poetic would that be if I could pull out a baby photo? Yeah, I remember this like camera sitting out. It was really weird because that wasn't in the actual ride or anything. Well, it's funny. Um, my dad uh, went back and forth uh, for a while on if he saw Halix at Disneyland. Really? Because um, when he came when he came to this country from El Salvador, he came I think in '79, and uh, he came to live with his sister, my aunt, and she lived in Orange at the time so they went uh-huh. to disneyland like pretty regularly because that was the thing to do if you lived in orange you know you'd go to disneyland you go to the nightclubs around and uh knott's Berry farm had a club too and all that stuff and so yeah he was like i remember seeing a lot of acts at disneyland i think he saw uh x the band x at the space stage and i can't remember what, what other acts but 
um he was like i could have sworn the kid the kingdom the kids, kids of the kingdom yeah yeah but like they had like real bands too and so he saw a lot of him and his sister saw like a lot of the real bands there but uh yeah i remember um we had like a family conversation where like him and my my aunt mary were both trying to like rack their brains like 1981 1981 what do we see that summer Because he looked at the, the footage and the photos and he was like, I yeah. could have sworn. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of there because didn't he audition for Captain Neo or, or something? That's right. Like he that? did. <laughs> um, did I ever tell you that story? Uh, or how did you know about that story? It was on some podcast. I forget which one. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it, it might've been on Girls Off the Rails. I- I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, maybe I did mention it on there. But yeah, my dad, uh, he didn't audition for Captain EO. He he auditioned for the bad music video. Because basically uh. for the bad music video, they were like, we need every black and brown dance <laughs> that we can get pronto. And so they were like, we'll take everybody. And so my dad was like, I can pop and lock and I'm brown. Um, and so he got to know. I'm hip. He, he's like, I'm hit with it. Um, <laughs> uh, my dad, a shockingly good dancer, even now. Uh He'll randomly pull out his dancers, and he's really good. But anyway, wow. um, yeah. So in the process of auditioning, he got to meet a lot of like Michael's core dancers that would later go on to be in Captain EO. And so we were sitting watching Captain EO uh, when it came back to Disneyland in like 2014 for our first time, and we were sitting in the theater, and my dad just laughs whenever one of the guys like popped out, and he just goes, huh, "I know that guy." And me and my little oh, sister like silently turned him in the theater and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please explain this more. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, what's funny also too about like my dad's like connection with Michael Jackson is um, when I went to film school, there's this amazing filmmaker, super talented guy, and he's still a good friend. Uh, his name's Court- Courtney Miller Jr. And... Um, we were like, why is this guy who's like older than all of us, like in our like community college film class? And it's because this dude had like had an insane career as a as a dancer and a choreographer. He had choreographed for Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Chris Brown, Usher, oh. you name it, like everybody. Oh and I remember telling him in class once, I was like, you know, and I told him the story about like uh, my dad's like connection with Michael Jackson. He was like, what? no way he was Did so he stoked him? he was so excited he was like tell your dad i said what's up <laughs> that's 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 insane when you went to film school did you have you made your first film yet or not or no like your first real film not just like you know a club in school where you had to make a project or whatever right right um yeah, at that time, like all that I had made was like goofy sketch videos and stuff. And then when I was in high school, what I had started to dabble into a little bit, a little bit after I had started film school, because I, I went to film school at a local community college while I was still in high school. They had a program called uh, the K through 12 program, where basically like you could go to college, you could take college classes for like almost no money. And so it was like my family thought like, oh, this would be a really good way to save money. And there was no serious film program at the high school I was at anyways. So it was a no brainer. And so I started taking those classes. And while I was taking those classes, like me and some of my high school buddies were starting to get into making like these crazy like fight fight stunt choreo uh, videos. (laughs) 
uh, where they would be like, oh, like we would come up with like a dumb plot, a uh-huh. way to start off the plot. Like we were like, oh, someone's trying to play Toto by Africa or Af- uh, Africa by Toto <laughs> on their laptop, and the other guy wants to turn it off, and then they fight for five <laughs> minutes, and it just gets crazier and crazier from there. <laughs> so no, to answer your question, I was not oh making any serious <laughs> movies before I got to Saddleback. I don't but, know. I, I I think that that should have been released instead of live from the space stage. That's that's what Kevin <laughs> should have came to you and said, "Hey, do you still have these files? If not, please. If so, please send them to me." I've actually thought about like um, making a video like to kind of like help like aspiring filmmakers. Like even though I myself am an aspiring filmmaker, but just kind of to show people like, "Hey, it's okay. Like it doesn't matter where you start. You know, like." showing like here's like all the just trash videos that i made before i started <laughs> making like actual serious movies that get reviewed on you know indie film websites and get perfect reviews and stuff like that like do you still have the files are they like in your parents computer or whatever I do, do you have, still have i do have a lot of the files for a lot of the films i made actually like oh, the man, very the very first like serious short film that i ever tried to make was my teacher told me she was like okay there's this like a uh, school film festival um where they have categories for all the all the videos if you make a video like an, in, in a certain category like you can be nominated she was like you should make a video for the math category and i was like really she's like trust me no other kid's gonna try to make a video about math if you make a video yeah, about math boring. like you're a shoo-in for the win and so i made like my first short film called the algebra kid and it was basically it starred me um yeah. <laughs> as as uh this kid who wanted to like do well in math and then this kid uh ned the nerd um comes out from behind a bush like f-ing michael in the halloween <laughs> movies and becomes my mr miyagi for math it took a two and a half minute short film where you can see little baby oh fetus God. matt and oh, I man. actually, I found the <laughs> website that was hosting it is still around. And I was actually able to reach out to one of the technicians at the website. Oh, and I asked for a way to download that short film. And so I downloaded oh, it. Man. I have a file of it on my computer. And I also have it backed up on my YouTube channel. <laughs> so oh, please so release I, it. So I have that. And then <laughs> I, you know, uh, on YouTube, there's a ton of my like early videos. And then I have wow. still lots of stuff on my hard drives. Yeah. So what was your first real film? Was it Drink Up? <sighs> Good question. My first, my first like real film was uh, in film one at, at my community college. So uh, the, basically the way that it went was it went film one, film two, film three. Film one was like super like intense, uh, like beat beat the ego out of you, and also just like just show you just by the end of this class you're gonna know not only how to make a movie but like how to make a movie that makes people feel something. You're gonna really know like like what it takes to like be a filmmaker from the artistic standpoint and from the technical standpoint. Uh, Mm. film two was like okay now we're making really serious huge projects and you're basically going to be like one of the lower end jobs on a film three set but then by the time you got to a film three set you were either a cinematographer or you were the lead uh, sound guy or girl or you were the production designer you were the director the producers the writers so you made your way up 
class to class. Right. So in film one, it was very much like film one is very self-contained. And basically you had to make like five short films over the course of the semester. And each one taught you like a basic aspect of storytelling. So the first mm-hmm. one was like, all right, uh, it was like person place. Basically, like you and, and all the films, except for the last one in film one, you couldn't use any dialogue because it was all uh, about teaching you how to be a visual storyteller. And so the first one person place was like, OK, all you have to do is establish a person and a place that they're in. And that's it. Yeah. Uh and uh that one was pretty free reign and so we made something for that and then the second one was called the follow film and it's supposed to be all right there's a character that has something that another character wants and we need to follow them and literally that's what it was it was just like just film uh, a movie where someone is following another person yeah. Uh, and you can figure out the ending to that however you wanted. And I remember really fighting because I was like, I was like, I'm this big director. Like, I want to I want to write and I want to direct like yeah. I need my shot. And like the older kids like in my group uh, were like, shut up. Like, no, like we're going to work. On this. <laughs> and so and so when it came time for the suspense film, I remember being like, OK, I'm going to come with a script ready for the group. And like, I really hope that they let me direct it. Right. And so uh, in in high school, like I didn't pay attention to class at all. And just all day, I just worked on this like short film idea. And then I pitched it to the group and they were like, well, we can't come up with any better ideas. So I guess we'll just have to go with yours. And they let me do it. <laughs> and I got to direct it, thankfully. And it was really stressful, honestly, because it was we were shooting the same weekend as my winter formal. So literally I had to leave set and get dressed in the car to go take photos for winter formal. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day we put the film together and it's funny. I remember my teacher, his name's Charlie Myers. I was so nervous because he's like the most intense critic of like short films in our Uh classes. Because like I was saying, he he tries to beat the ego out of you. He's not like going to sit there and be like, wow, it was really great. I really liked it. He would be like, he would literally watch the film that you put your heart into. And it'd be like, the lighting could have been better. Or he could, he, he would be like, you don't understand, you know, like, characters and motivation and like what is this garbage i mean he's right i mean people aren't going to be like your family members and you know that was great that was amazing i mean critics are really going to do that they don't care yeah and film producers are relentless too and like the whole industry is relentless so it was actually like a really good way to teach a film class and it's so funny because i was so nervous because he had ripped apart our last two films and uh my film played and it was called stacked and the plot of the film was it was two brothers. One was like this dorkier, quieter uh, k- kid who all he was just doing, trying to do that day was build a, a house of cards. Mm-hmm. And then the other brother was this douchebag who wanted to go upstairs <laughs> and like rock out on his rock and roll guitar. And so the suspense aspect was that the older brother upstairs was rocking out on his, on his guitar when he drops his pick. He leans down to grab the pick and his headphones unplug out of the amp and he has his amp turned all the way up. And so as that's happening, the the brother downstairs finally builds his house of cards. And then he's like, oh, my tea is ready. And he goes and he, <laughs> he pours his tea and he's going up to take a sip and he goes up to take a sip. And the brother goes to play a power chord thinking that his headphones are still plugged in and he whams, uh, he wails on the guitar and it rocks the house and the brother spills the hot tea all over him and goes like, ah, and falls over. Right. 
And then the ending yeah. of the film is him getting up and he's still steaming and he sees that the house of cards is still standing and he goes, uh-huh. <sighs> and then the house of cards falls. Oh my God. <laughs> and That's I remember hilarious. my teacher watched it and everyone <laughs> laughed in the class. And then he just goes, this is fine. And I remember rubbing it into the face of everyone in my group <laughs> and like, he said it was fine. Um, and I remember someone in, in my group was like, yeah, that's not good. You want to get notes and stuff. And I was like, nah, I don't care. Like he <laughs> said it was fine. Like I'll take it. And the funny thing about that short is, uh, ever since that year, I've been told that my short film gets used as the example for the suspense film for every film oh, wow. in the class which is pretty sick. Wow. So yeah, that was like my first, amazing. that was my first like actual like attempt at like making a uh-huh. film was that film. Yeah. So when, uh, I'm going to continue with this question. When did drink up? Was that, was that a college film or was it? Cause I think in the description, if I remember correctly, film. yeah. Was yeah. that in festivals? So, uh, what happened with drink up was I remember, so I was done with Saddleback and then I was trying to see if I could get into like a serious film school and it didn't, it didn't look like I was going to be able to get into any because my GPA wasn't high enough to get me into like Chapman or UCLA or anything like that. So, uh, my friends were, a few of my friends were going to Cal state long beach and I heard that they had a great film program there. And so I was like, okay, I'll apply to Cal state long beach. And so part of the application process to get into the film program is you need to send a film. And the requirement was you need to send a film that is less than two minutes long, um, that tells a story with no dialogue um, about a character discovering something and then making a decision based off of that discovery. Hmm. And so I came up with the story of this little girl is the beer fetcher for their alcoholic father. And when she comes back into the room with the beer, uh, the manifestation of her dad's alcoholism is this monster waiting behind him. And so she has to make a decision either to, you know, walk over and give the beer to the dad and to appease the monster or to not give the beer to the dad. Uh, Because also it looks like the monster is going to, you know, hurt her. And so the decision that she makes is she drinks the beer in front of the dad. And that causes the dad to, to rethink, you know, his, his, uh, his addiction. And so I made that and it's so funny, like as I was working on it, I was literally in the editing process with my editor and we were almost done. We were like a week away from being done. And we were like still a week ahead of the submission deadline when Mm -hmm. my mom texted me and said, you got rejected from Cal State because of your grades. Oh my. And I remember looking at my editor and going, well, and he was like, he was like, he, he said, fuck him. You made the best submission <laughs> film that they're never going to get. Oh, wow. And I have heard from people that go to the school. They're like that, that saw the film. They were like, uh-huh. yeah, it was the best submission film that they never got. Uh, so I just took it and I just, I shared, I went, I, I sent it to like one or two festivals and it got in, but no one really saw it. Uh, but the one, one, one of the festivals in LA that I sent it to, uh, it was amazing. I had like a line of like 20 people that all wanted to talk to me afterwards and tell me how much the film touched them and impacted them. I thought that was really cool, but yeah, all that it was, was just supposed to be a submission film. It was never really intended to be like this film that I made for profit or to like, you know, Mm -hmm. send to festivals or anything like that. 
who who played the who played the dad and the daughter? Uh, the dad was played by uh, Ryan Adams, and the daughter, her name is escaping me. I just saw her. I still follow her on Instagram. Her mom runs her Instagram account, and uh, she's doing amazing. She's 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 killing it right now. She gets like so much work in the industry. Oh, is she actually like a successful actress now? Yes. Oh wow, good for her. Lola Sue Welch played the uh, the girl. And they're both really amazing to work with, and they're still doing really cool stuff in the industry. So, yeah, that's 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 amazing. Uh, your the next film that I could find. Most of these I, I actually like couldn't actually find them and watch them. Was Pardon Our Pixie Dust? That was really really good. Like I'm not even joking. That was it was really 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 good and. Uh, some information that I didn't know. Was that a student film too, or did that get in festivals? Yes, that was a student film as well. Um, my So it's so funny. I didn't think I was going to get into documentary filmmaking, and that was my first uh, uh, attempt at making a documentary film. It's uh, a good attempt. I, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we, um, we, were, we were given an assignment uh, for our documentary class because I was convinced uh -huh. to take the documentary class at Saddleback as one of my final classes uh, by my mom. And um, our documentary teacher. Did you want to take the documentary class or no? Because I didn't. Most I, most people don't like documentaries. Yeah, honest. and that was me. Uh, that was <laughs> me. I was like, no, screw documentaries. Those aren't real movies, and those aren't real filmmakers. And now I love documentaries. Uh, documentaries were amazing. Apparently, your documentaries aren't aren't real documentaries to um some sites like uh, <clears throat> like Letterbox. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> uh, but that's a whole different story uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah partner pixie dust uh was a film that i made for my documentary class uh because my teacher uh was really pressuring us to like uh figure to really dig into a story and like do some like investigative journalism and whatnot and so we couldn't really think of any you know crazy story to talk about and so i was like okay, well, I guess we'll make a documentary about like uh, just Disneyland culture in general. Uh -huh. um, we'll talk about like, you know, the people that uh, are really obsessed with Disneyland and all that and whatnot. And um, were you thinking about well, doing the um, the Disneyland social gangs, social clubs? Uh, yeah, we were going to maybe find like a social gang member to interview. And then another thing that I thought would be funny was I was like, wouldn't it be funny if we interviewed uh, like Disneyland fans who were like, oh my gosh, I love Disneyland. And then hard cut to like someone who lives a mile away in the house going like, oh, the fireworks are, are horrible. And so yeah. I went into like uh, on Facebook groups, like I found like Anaheim, like local Anaheim Facebook groups. And I messaged saying like, hi, like, you know, we're looking for people uh, to be like interview subjects for this like Disneyland documentary that we're making. And one of the guys who is a political activist in Anaheim was like, okay, like I'll talk, but I'm not going to I can't promise I'll say anything nice about the mouse. And we were like, we found our perfect guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And his name was yeah. Wes, uh, Wes Jones. And uh, we went to interview him and we're completely stunned by like all the information that he dropped. And so we were like, okay, well let's, let's shift this. Like, let's make the documentary about this. Let's talk about like, disneyland's true impact to the city of anaheim and like you know really kind of expose this to people so that like 
more people can know about this and talk about like the homeless uh, situation and how yeah, Disney that may actually me. be kind of contributing uh, in a negative or, or was contributing in a negative way to the situation. And um, yeah. it's interesting. A lot of that stuff has changed now um, and mm-hmm. things have definitely gotten a lot better. And Disney has definitely put in now their fair share towards helping their employees, their cast members, uh, to helping out the community, to helping with the homeless situation. Uh, they've donated tons of resources, tons of money to helping the homeless situation in Anaheim. But back when I was making the documentary, it was abysmal. It was really, yeah. it was really bad. Uh, the yeah, that, that, that information shocked me. I couldn't believe that there were that many homeless people around Disneyland. Yeah. Was, and that was, was another so thing was um, we actually like, we, we wanted to expand the documentary and really kind of like see if we could find out more information about uh, what was going on with the politics in Anaheim, as well as um, uh, bring to light more of these stories uh, from these homeless people. And um, we filmed for like over a year, uh, all this footage that uh, who knows if we'll ever see the light of day because uh, we don't really know how to put it together now and, uh, to really tell like the best, most effective story now. Uh, mm-hmm. But crazy footage like um, undercover, someone someone uh, that was involved got like undercover footage at like a super pack party. Um, we were introduced to a Disneyland cast member who was homeless and we went and, and filmed in their homeless village. We oh, filmed the wow. inside of their tent, all of that stuff. Um, wow. We filmed a couple uh, that lived on a bus stop that I still talk to actually on occasion. There's a couple that uh, uh, lived on on the bus stop in front of Toy Story parking. Um, lots of crazy stuff, but just yeah. what happened was um, while I was in the process of making that, I was also inspired to uh, to make a documentary about the two guys that snuck onto Horizons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's how Remain Seated Please came to be. And it's oh funny, really? When was yeah, it? and so when Remain Seated Please came out, uh, it caught the eye of Kevin at Defunctland, uh-huh. and he was like, "Well, what are you working on right now?" And I told him about Partner Pixie Dust, and he was like, "Well, it doesn't seem like you have a story, and also like you don't want to get into that world of political documentary filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Um, how about we come up with a different idea and work on something together?" And I was like. I was, I was really unsure because I was like, man, I put so much time and effort into partner pixie. That's like, should I really just drop it? Um, but I just decided to trust him and we dropped it. And, uh, two weeks later we had the Halix idea and here we are. So partner pixie dust is incomplete right now. It's yeah, not. So, so it was, you know, like, like I said, there was like the 10 minute, you know, like short documentary. That was a class project that actually got into uh-huh. A few film festivals. Yeah, um, I think that was the cut that I found because it's on Odd Pop. Yes, and I, I and I watched that and liked it, and it was only like ten minutes, maybe. Yeah, so there's that, and then uh, there's a there's like twelve hours of insane footage just sitting on my hard drive uh, oh, wow. here underneath my computer. Wow. So your uh your latest short film is called Gray Swallowed Her Phone and it's literally about a girl's life Swallowed when she follows <laughs> it's when she swallows her phone. <laughs> How long did it take you to make that and what was your inspiration for that? Cuz it's such a weird idea, but it's 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 done well, I got to admit. 
Thank you. Um, it's so funny, like the the process of making that. Like I I I was not planning on making that film at all. What happened was, I just recently applied, and this is the first time I'm talking about this on a podcast. I just recently applied to uh, a Disney Plus program called Disney Plus Launchpad. It's this new program that they're starting to try to um, tell stories from people from underrepresented backgrounds or you know stories that you don't really see as often in popular media and so i had this script that i had already written uh, a few months prior that was sitting you know unproduced and i didn't know how i was going to produce it um it was based on a true story about the time when i was in second grade taking my first standardized test and on the front of the test it asked me to pick one race or ethnicity and being Mm -hmm. someone who is half white half latino i freaked out thinking oh my god i don't want to pick the wrong answer and that sat with me for years and years and years until finally i wrote this script and it's funny uh my friend freddie chambers uh when i told him about the program he was like well dude isn't it obvious you gotta send pick one and i was like you're right it's literally perfect because it's this Disney friendly short film uh, that I could, you know, show and uh, hopefully get produced. And so in the application process, I found out that they were looking for uh, a directing sample. The problem is I've been doing mostly documentary work for the past like four or five years now. And mm-hmm. what they were looking for was a narrative uh, short film example. Well, I mean, if something. we want Halix to come back, all you need to do is just live from the space stage and then get Halix on the radar again. I know, which I have some <laughs> ideas on how to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the problem was they needed like a five minute short film that had to have dialogue and it needed to be scripted. And uh-huh. so things like Drink Up, you know, didn't work and all my documentaries didn't work. And so I thought, shoot well, I don't really want to send anything that I made in film school. Like I want to send something that's more updated but because I've yeah. grown so much as a filmmaker, but the problem is I didn't have anything. So I was sitting driving in traffic and I was thinking about all these ideas that I had and how expensive all of, they, all of them were. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. come on, Matt, go back to your roots. Like, think hey, about Why don't you idea. just like make another, another short film that takes like months to produce in like two years of editing that sounds like a good idea to me exactly like yeah i was like i don't want to go down that road again like can't you just think (laughs) of some creative goofy idea that would cost no money to make and it's funny i was thinking about tiktok and how everyone was talking about how the ai voice had recently changed Mm -hmm. and i was like wouldn't it be funny if like you just started talking like a robot one day and like you couldn't control it and then I was like, how would that happen? And I was like, "You would. what if you swallowed your phone? And then I was like, that's insane. How would you swallow your phone? And then I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And then I was like, okay, I figured it out. That's the short film. And I remember like calling my cinematographer, Katie Ann, and I pitched her the idea. And I was like, it's, I was like, okay, I think it's really weird, but what do you think? And she was like, no, I like it a lot. And then I told my girlfriend and I was like, I think it's really weird, but what do you think? She was like, nope, I like it a lot. <laughs> and then I remember going on Twitter and I was like, will anyone read my damn script and tell me what's wrong with it? And everyone that read it was like, I like this a lot. You should make this. And so, Oh, I remember that tweet because I was like, what is this guy up to now? Yeah, that was about Grace swallowed her phone. And so uh, literally it took less than three weeks from me having the idea to a finished film. 
Oh, and that wow. includes that's, writing, that's no time at all. Writing, shooting it, and doing all the post-production, including, you know, putting together the score, yeah. uh, finalizing the vocal effect and all that stuff. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I was able to submit that along with the rest of my Dizzy Launchpad stuff um, the day of the deadline, like six hours before it was due. So I really mm-hmm. clutched it. Oh. That That's... <laughs> that's the total opposite of Halix. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so let's let's switch onto a uh, the documentary that really made you famous. Remain seated, please. How did you find the story of Hoot and Chief? Um, I found it years ago. Um, just doing a deep dive into Horizons uh, and just Epcot Disney history in general, and um. Uh, I didn't really think much of it at the time. I I just assumed it was like two cast members who just like when they were Mm -hmm. off of work were just going backstage and just like filming videos or whatever. But um, I remember years later talking to my composer friend, Jordan Nascaro, who uh, was talking about, he, he asked me, he was like, what's your favorite like piece of, what's your favorite like, like loop? From like a disney park and i was like oh no. without a doubt it's, it's horizons like horizons has like so much music it's so vast it's so diverse and it's all amazing and then he was like yeah like do you know any like good like blogs that i can go on to like you know learn more about that ride and i told him about uh mesa verde times and i started thinking about it and i was like you know i wonder if anyone's like done like a breakdown of like their adventures through the ride and i saw that no one had done it and so i was like was anyone else going to make a video or doc or well movie it's funny about them um when i put it out i found out that um two other youtube channels were either planning on <coughs> or were working on videos for the channels about the topic uh and that's mm-hmm. jenny nicholson and kevin at the fun plan Oh, wow. And both of them told me that they had to scrap their idea because of my yeah. movie. Wow. Um, so you, was... you, you, you took down two. That's weird to think about that you, you, you made two ginormous YouTubers take down or stop their video because of something you made, right? That's... Yeah. Well, not really a spoiler, but. You can't spoil a documentary. It's literally impossible. It's about well, it's about real Well, life. not that. I was going to spoil season three of Defunct Land. <laughs> oh. that, uh, <laughs> he is finally making a Horizons episode. Now, is he going to mention Who and Chief? Probably not. But um, I do know for a fact that he is making a Horizons episode because we actually tease it in the episode, in the mid-season finale that I uh, uh-huh. shot for hoot did you get his permission first before actually making the doc or did you just make it and then hopefully he says yes what's funny is um i i learned a really good piece of advice uh when i was at dances with films a film festival that um accepted partner pixie dust um i was talking to this guy who at the time had already completed like three documentary feature films i remember me and my producer went to him and asked like hey man if you could give us like one piece of advice like what would that be and he was like always ask for forgiveness never ask for permission and let me tell you that is the best piece of advice for a lot of things but especially documentary filmmaking um because what i did was i just i just cut together the footage 
Um, and I just told the story the way that I thought that it should have been told. And I sent him a 50 minute cut and I said, Hey man, like you don't know me, but I'm inspired by you guys' story. And so I cut together this 50 minute piece and I, and it had my narration. It didn't even have Lance's narration in it yet. Yeah. Oh, who narrates the actual version? Lance. Lance Ethan Reyes. Okay. And, um, yeah, who got back to me and he was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm crying. Like you he's like he told me he was like i have been pitched so many times by so many filmmakers like you know i want to tell your story i want to tell your story and every time like they don't mm-hmm. get it like they don't get what the story is but like yours is the first film that gets the story like it's about our friendship man it's not about yeah. us being daredevils and sneaking around it's not just about that like the true yeah. heart of the story is our friendship and because and, so many people see them running around and it's like, oh, look at these two idiots running around Disney ride. But when it's actually about their, you know, their true friendship, I mean, these guys were at, were real friends. And so he told me, it was like, you have my 100% full blessing. Go, go ahead. Do you do you. And so. That's what so he, during the it. filmmaking, he was out of it. You didn't have to ask him for any research or can I put this in? Can I not? You, nope, it was just all everything. up to you. I did everything. And so from there, it was just tweaking it and fine tuning it and making it better and tighter and tighter, making the story tighter because it went from a 15 minute cut to a 25 minute uh, finished movie. And how long did it take you to to do all that, to get the narration down, to research? Uh, In total, uh, it was four months of work and it was really hard. And there came a point where I was like, I thought I was two weeks away from completion and mm-hmm. uh premiere wasn't auto saving my files <laughs> oh no and i lost half of the project and i had to recreate it oh, from scratch God. half of the oh, movie. there was wow. 15, 15 minutes that i had to recreate from scratch what and, part of the uh, movie was it yeah the first 15 minutes oh and, okay so the opening all right mm-hmm. and i remember having like a mental breakdown over this it was really bad it was awful, but that's rough. It finally came out, and uh, everyone was really proud, and everyone was super happy about it. And mm-hmm. I threw it up on my YouTube channel, and I was like, "Who knows? Maybe some people will watch it. Maybe I can get ten thousand views. How cool would that be?" <laughs> and Imagine. I shared it on Reddit, and it just went f-ing crazy, like Jeez. to the point where I had cast member friends telling me, like, "Like, I think every cast member at Disneyland and Walt Disney World has seen your documentary." Jeez. Yeah, didn't it somehow get in like the the cast member circles and they shared it around like crazy in there? Yeah, like like wildfire. It it went it was insane, wow. and uh, I was getting talked about on huge podcasts, and all these people were saying how amazing it was, and it was so crazy how it just lit up like that. And um, that's when wasn't it Kevin a zero sub channel too? Yeah, it was a brand new YouTube channel. Uh, it was all it, it went. That's why I was saying like it went viral in the true sense of the word because. It started on a zero subscriber channel with zero views and from us sharing it out and from it getting shared by everyone and shared by everyone and shared by everyone, it Mm -hmm. got up to like 350,000 views, which is insane, like really insane. insane. Some people that I've looked up to for like all my life, um, like for example, uh, Rocka Bodhi at Meg 64, um, uh, still to this day, like I think calls it like one of his favorite videos on the internet. And there's some in the comments, there's some huge like hundred thousand plus subscriber YouTube 
uh, YouTube uh, creators in the comments saying how great it is. Like, I believe yes. offhand, right? Yes. Uh, Mickey Views, I saw in there. Uh, I forget who else, but yeah, there's. It, I mean, dude. I mean, Critical uh, watched it on a live. Stream. That's right. I and... wanted. I I'm, I want to talk about that later. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe it would have gotten to a million views if it would have gotten if it wouldn't have gotten age restricted? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the algorithm really had it going toward heading towards a, a million views. Uh, yeah. If you look, if you if you looked at the chart, it was well on its. It was going to easily hit a million views like within a week. Um, but insane. because of the age restriction, it went from getting uh, on its way to a million views to literally like I would search it and it wouldn't mm. come up like on YouTube. It got it got um, just hidden by the algorithm because of people yeah. reporting it for having the language, which. It's really sad because I missed out on a lot of money and I missed out on probably a lot of opportunities and um, a lot more um, exposure. But uh -huh. with all that being said, I do stand by my, my decision because like that's how they talked. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not yeah, going to like you censor, can't... you know, how they talk like that'd be lame. And also you would just have to like have like so many bleeps like throughout the movie. Yeah, that's that's true. I think people just need to grow up. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, and it's after you upload it too, because you can't censor it after you upload it. Exactly. Like you would have to take the video down, and then all those views are gone. Exactly. Like you're just not gonna do that. And it's just it wasn't worth it. Um, so, um, like I said, stand by that decision. There was I went on Letterboxd because somebody put it on on Letterboxd, and uh, <laughs> there was some yes, pretty I did funny. See. There was some pretty funny reviews on there. Somebody gave it two stars, which is a problem in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, which is a problem. He just, what's what's even funnier is that the review is three words, and I'm not kidding. It just says Disney crime, neat. Disney <laughs> and that's crime, it. Neat. And then there's a, there's one uh, four stars. YouTube documentaries have the power to make me choke up over some shit I didn't even know before. That's actually a good review. <laughs> That's funny. I'm I, I take I take great pride in uh, people saying like, "Oh wow, like I didn't know about this thing, and now here I am mm -hmm. crying." Thank you. Like, I take great pride in being able to yeah, yeah make people cry about stuff that they didn't know about before. Speaking of reactions, did you take this to film festivals? I just thought like oh, it's just too complicated because like there's so much like material and music and stuff that we don't own that we can't uh, -huh. uh that wouldn't qualify us for a film festival, and so I just thought. Yeah. Eh. But what's cool is um, we were actually asked um, to be part of a midnight screening in L.A. So I actually was able to oh, attend wow. a live screening of the movie and it went over really well. Uh, the audience loved it. It was really yeah. cool to see that movie with an audience. Another reaction, critical. How sweet was that for you to watch? <sighs> that was uh, amazing. Did you see an increase on views after that? Oh yeah, no, one hundred percent. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, honestly, the biggest jump in views was, um, it was when it was shared on TikTok. Actually, really, it yeah, made it its got, round. It got shared on TikTok, and uh, the TikTok had like. Is that why you made a TikTok? That is actually what inspired me to make my TikTok. Was I was like, you know what, like I should I should respond to this. Yeah. Um, and so I made a TikTok. 
uh, responding to that. And then I just kept making content from there. And now like my TikTok has like a healthy following, which is cool. On TikTok, you made you made a video. And I don't have TikTok, but you, know, you can get on TikTok with having, having an account. Um, you shared a video of you talking about when you met uh, Dave and he gave you uh, some Horizons prompts. What did he give you? Like a pinana or something? He something gave me like a that? pinana. He gave me like a little carrot. Yeah. Um, he gave Stuff from me the farm. Didn't he give photos. you? Did cheese, he give you something uh, from the kitchen? Uh, the only thing from the kitchen would have been either the pinanas or the little carrot. Okay. All right. Oh, he also gave you. Yeah, I heard you say the flashlight too. I forgot about yes, that. Yes, the flashlight in the bag. Cheese. But. Back when I first made my my channel and I was just getting into the, you know, whole Disney old stuff, um, I found this documentary and I had no idea. What, I, I kind of knew what Horizons was, but not really. I watched that and now it is one of my favorite rides ever because That's of awesome. your documentary. Oh, thank you. It's so cool so, how many people uh, have said that. Um I remember there was a girl uh, for Christmas, like that the year that the doc came out, or it wasn't for Christmas. It was for, for her birthday, I think. Um, her friends had gotten her Horizon stuff, and she actually credited me, saying that yeah, my documentary was the reason why she fell in love with the ride, which is so cool. But uh, yeah, I just I just want to say thank you because without without your doc, I would not love Horizons as much as I did. And back sometime in twenty nineteen. Dave actually put some of his Horizon stuff all up for auction on eBay. I was like, please, let this be like super cheap so I can buy it. Did you see that also one of my TikToks I made talked about um, the Wonder Yes, Art. yes. I actually I found me. that. I, I found one of the Wonderground pieces and I knew it because of it, because of you. You want to tell that story? Yeah, so um, I got a comment uh, somewhere saying that uh, they had talked to someone at Wonderground who made the Horizons piece and that the artist said that they had put Hood and Chief onto the art because of my documentary, which was a really cool day because the moment that like, you know, I, all my life I've been inspired by Disney, but the fact that something that I made inspired yeah. official Disney art is like one of the greatest honors like of my life. And uh, I definitely yeah. do not take that for granted. Afterwards, Kevin reaches out, and you knew of Defunkland, right? Before Remain Seated, please. Oh yeah, I was a huge okay. fan of Defunkland. So when he reached out, and he he said, you know, hey, do you want to work on something? Did he have a Helix in mind, or did you brainstorm that idea with him? And what were some of the topics of the doc before Helix idea? Um. We had talked about lots of other ideas, um, but didn't really like really any of the other ideas. Like um, the one that I can remember that was like the, um, like it was like, oh, this almost might be the idea was like about this guy who liked monorails and he started like a monorail club in North and like North California. But I was like, what's the story there? It's just, it's yeah. just this guy. Like <laughs> I, was, I was like really not interested in, in doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> Halix finally came along and it was like, okay, that's a better idea. So here's a question that you've probably never heard before. When did you first hear about Halix? Uh, first heard about Halix in that conversation with Kevin. Um, 
he told me to Google Halix. And when I Googled it and saw it, I was like, well, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> what, do you expect me to make a documentary about this? Like there's no information yeah. about this online. Um, but yeah, that's the first time that I heard about it was in that conversation with him. And really, yeah, I, there was nothing because I remember we were in the defunct land uh, Patreon call. I remember you telling us about Halix and I just looking it up and I was like, what is this? Because there was nothing. And when I'm, I'm not joking, there was nothing on the web. So how did research really start? I mean, how do you how do you start that? Do you go on Facebook and look up names or do you just go with the posters? I mean, how, how, yeah, what do you pretty do? Much, pretty much like just, we, we, we had a list of names of people that we thought were involved and then some people that we knew that were involved. Mm -hmm. And so we just went to town, um, just emailing people. I sent messages on LinkedIn to some people, uh, sending messages on Facebook, posting in group, uh, Facebook groups everything that we could possibly do to try to reach out to people. And um, it really was just like a very slow month to month to month process of, okay, we got another person. We have another interview locked down mm -hmm. waiting a month. Okay. We got another interview locked down waiting another month. Like it just, it took forever, but slowly, but surely, you know, once you meet one person, like that person can connect you to the next person and so on and so forth. It's, it's like a uh, it's like a domino effect is how I describe yeah. it to people when it comes to making documentaries where you have to go out and find people and interview them. And what was the favorite? Th what was your favorite thing that you found? Was it the spoiler alert, the Laura jacket or was it the commercial or was it bringing this band back from the dead? What was the favorite? What was your favorite thing that you actually found? Oh, definitely the footage. 100%. Was it the okay? Was it the footage? Yeah, one hundred percent. The fifty minutes of of high eight footage. Uh, yeah, because that just that made the band come to life more than anything else. Like that made the band come to life and validated everything that you know was talked about in every interview that we had done up to that point, and everything that I had read and heard about. And uh, uh, yeah, nothing could compare to the excitement that I had Finding once I finally uh, uh, saw that footage for the first time. Can that footage be fully released? Will that ever be fully released? The full 50 minutes of unedited Helix footage? Who knows? With actual um, audio. Uh, we've talked about that. I know that like a big thing uh, with us keeping the footage to ourselves is because, you know, that was the agreement that we made with the drummer of Helix, but also because, mm -hmm. you know, if anyone's curious about seeing the band, like we want them to watch our documentary because you yeah. know, in our documentary, we pick the best of the best of the footage uh, to put on display. However, like I know that there are lots of people that are, in are interested. And so maybe someday there, there will be a time where we uh, just upload all the footage just raw for people to watch. <sighs> Looking forward to that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you... Or I guess you already answered that. <laughs> um, how long did it really take you to make it? Editing, reaching out, because I think the commercial came out in like January of 2019. Oh, uh, was uploaded on on the original YouTube channel. Yeah, you might be some, right. I hold on, I can pull up the date. Um, well, I can tell you that, um, that, sorry about the music. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, it was originally posted by O Town Guy seventy nine, um, but the the entire documentary making process uh-huh. took eighteen months. Eighteen months. That's how long it took the entire process. That's um, amazing. Uh, if when it came out in August of uh, twenty twenty, um, we had started making it in January of twenty nineteen. Okay. So that's how long the entire process took. Is July twenty first, two thousand nineteen, when Live from the Space Stage crowdfunding campaign began on Defunct Lab. Yes, and in January <laughs> was when we began. And so, when was uh oh yeah the com- the original commercial that was uploaded on that YouTube channel was like put up like seven years ago, and it's so funny. And all the time of me uh searching and wait, searching what's and the searching, what's the channel? Uh, the channel is it's on O Town Guy seventy nine. Um, but I can't find. Oh, it was. Oh, I found it. Disneyland eighty one and eighty two. That's uh, that's the video. That's the original video. Oh, there it is. I found it. It was posted in twenty thirteen, and somehow I did not find the, this video. Yeah, dude, that commercial was is is wild to me that you couldn't find that, and it was uploaded like ten years ago. Yeah, which leads me to think like I feel like that was like a one little missed missed thing, but I I yeah. I would bet money that there's nothing else Halix related anywhere on the internet that we don't already have. How long into the process did it turn into a feature? Because I know this was first to, to be like a 40, 45 minute thing. Right. When did it actually turn into, we've got something here, we need to make this an hour long? It was when we went to go interview Tom. And spoilers, okay. when we found out the whole story between him and Laura. Okay. And that was, I believe, in May of 2019. And so after that, in June, me and Kevin really started talking about like, yeah, we can make this a feature 100%. We have the footage, we have this story, and there's still more and more and more stuff coming out as we keep working on this thing. So let's turn this thing into a feature film and let's crowdfund it. Because our Mm -hmm. thinking with crowdfunding was, you know, we were actually offering something. We were like, okay, well, when we set out to make this, we promised making a 40 minute piece and we still are going to do that however if you would like to see this turn into a feature you know here's the crowdfunding so you can support us and it was crazy we beat our goal in like 19 hours of ten thousand dollars which was amazing and we ended up raising actually fifteen thousand dollars which really helped us a lot with finishing the film doing it right and helped us Mm -hmm. making it uh especially during the pandemic i thought maybe the um it was turned into a feature when Mike Post or Gary Kreisel was brought in. Because when were they brought on board? Uh, we finally were able and to... And how? It's so funny. Like The way that we got Gary Kreisel was through Bambi. Bambi um, uh, was talking with somebody, I think, uh, on her way to Comic-Con because she was part of the uh, Mickey Mouse disco panel that mm-hmm. was happening at Comic-Con 2019. And mm-hmm. I think she ran into one of like Gary's assistants or former assistants. And that's how we were put in contact with Gary. And Mike Post was, was so funny because uh, it was like my composer's mom's friend uh, like knew Mike Post. And so we were able to get a connection through that so thankfully and luckily. And that's how we were able to interview uh, Mike, uh, yeah. which we interviewed um, – Gary and Mike right before the release of the final like Patreon trailer mm. or not Patreon Indiegogo trailer. Uh, when I was watching it the last time for interview prep, I saw the 
<clears throat> there was something I never noticed before, and it was the newspaper. Is that the actual newspaper ad, or is that just like any old, you know? Whatever? Oh yeah, the newspaper ad that we use is just any yeah. any newspaper ad. Okay, because um, I was I gonna say, really how did they hard. find that? <laughs> I tried really hard to see if I could find the original one, but the problem is, like, their wording would have been so generic, anyways, uh -huh. that like it would have just looked like something like that. It 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 never. It wasn't going to be a newspaper article that said we are we are looking for band members for Halix. I was never going to find that. Yeah. It was always just going to be like you know, uh, band singer rehearsals, wanted. looking for singer. It was going to be something generic like that always. How did you get the audio from the? Uh, how do you say his name? Bang Bangoey Bang Bango. Oh, uh, like uh, Bango. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, the YouTube channel that had the yeah uh, yeah yeah. So I reached out to him. And as it turns out, his brother was working at Disney at the time in marketing. And mm -hmm. so his brother was like, yeah, you got to come see this hot new act and you should bring like the family tape recorder. And mm -hmm. back then tape recorders were like this big, huge piece of equipment. And so he was like, just tell them you're with me and they'll let you in with the tape recorder. And so yeah. his brother smuggled in the tape recorder and recorded those, that live performance of Halix. Mm -hmm. Does he have a... One of the comments I saw, he said that he has studio demos still. Do you know anything about that? Do you know when they're going to be released? If they're going to be released? Any anything that you can report on that? No idea. Um, and I remember asking him if he could send that stuff, but they technically were not supposed to have that. They technically stole uh, that stuff. Yeah, that's Disney property, and so I feel like they're actually like too scared to release that because then yeah. that would be like an admittance of stealing that stuff all those years ago yeah <laughs> so who knows well, i don't know bluffing. i mean who people record themselves i mean people record themselves jumping off and living with the land boats so it's exactly you know, do whatever they want yeah, now exactly <laughs> this is the the <laughs> With, with me and my friends, I feel like I have to I have to ask this question. When when will the unedited "What the fuck is a Halix" interview come out? <laughs> Who knows, man? Maybe I'll put it on my YouTube <laughs> channel as like a little something for everyone to see. <laughs> By the way, Mike Post, he um, if you haven't watched the documentary, you have no idea what we're talking about. Mike Post is the producer of Halix, right? He was the yes. record record producer. Okay, uh, I have the good. I have I have the uh, the title correct, which you might recognize his work. He did the um, Magnum <laughs> Magnum PI theme, the A Team theme. He actually did. He actually produced Van Halen three, which I'm pretty sure that's the right Mike Post. And um, the Law and Order. You know what I'm talking about? The dun dun. I can't actually yep, play it because it's bum, copyrighted. Bum, yep. So yeah, that's when you told me that he was going to be in the documentary. I remember everybody in the call being shocked. That that was when it got real for us, at least. Yeah, for a lot of people, I know. I know that that surprised a lot of people when I told them that. What were you? The, what were the expectations for you when it released? Were you <laughs> thinking it was going to be four hundred thousand views? It was going to get on every like you know. I mean, it got on like sci-fi and stuff. It made a huge impact when it came out on the Disney community. Do you, were you expecting that honestly, because honestly, of the success of Remain Seated, please, or no? It's funny you say that. I was honestly like kind of expecting it to be uh, even bigger than what it was. I just thought that you know, 
with nothing else going on, especially in the Disney community, I thought that like everyone would be sharing it. But honestly, like, I feel like there are a lot of people in like the Disney communities, like a very small community. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that are very supportive, but this is also a very clicky community. And it's very interesting. A lot of people being like, you know, it's interesting. Are these people not talking about it? Or are these people not talking yeah. about the documentary at all? And uh, I thought that was interesting, but um, uh, honestly, I am grateful for how well the documentary did because it's on a topic that no one knows anything about. You look at it, and you're like, "What is that?" You know? Yeah. And it's also a, a 90 minute movie, which is really hard to, you know, it's really hard to keep people's attention for 90 minutes, let alone mm-hmm. get someone to click on something that they don't know about. That's a 90 minute commitment. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm really gr- grateful for the word of mouth, and I'm grateful for how many views that it has now. And uh, yeah um, what was the one place that it reached that you were really surprised about that's a good question um honestly i think we were all really surprised when it got on yahoo entertainment did it get on yahoo to entertainment i even see that it got on yahoo entertainment and that really uh we were all stoked about that for sure i have one more big event um that i need to ask you about how was the drive-in because that was in october yes uh how did it come together and will it happen again for another maybe this documentary in another place or a future project of yours uh you know that's a good question um in the future uh who knows Um, i i think there might be I think I might try to plan like uh, a screening in Florida someday because I know that so many people over the years have asked for it. Yeah. Um, you can and... do one in Pennsylvania. I won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just saying. Just throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the, the drive-in screening was amazing and it was such a blessing how they came together and, and full credit goes to uh, Richard Kraft and his team at Craft Angle Management and all the other co- uh, companies that worked on it with us. Um, because they also were looking to throw an event or run an event or do something over quarantine. They were all sitting around bored thinking, what are we going to do? Because yeah. normally when it's not uh, COVID, they're out producing uh, the shows at the Hollywood Bowl. And so they were like, let's put this thing together. Richard was a huge fan of the documentary. Uh-huh. Um, he actually found and bought the original Halix poster and it now hangs in his house. Oh, is he is he the fan in the dock? Uh no, that is someone else. But yeah, oh, uh, okay. the 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 drive-in event was amazing. It was super fun. I got to see a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a really long time. Uh-huh. And the uh response to the movie was amazing. Uh people really loved it. We got tons of uh honking <laughs> horns yeah. and that was yeah, really cool. When you get it when you get a honking horn, you know you succeeded. Mm-hmm. That's what I always say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we end it, what is the next project that you can talk about? Because Patreon people know the next project, but we can't talk about that right now. So what, what is, uh, what's an idea that you have if you want to put that out there? Well, um, right now um, I have, like I said, I applied to that Disney plus program. So we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. with that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, I have a 40 minute doc that I worked on with Defunct Land, not about anything theme park related. 
that is waiting pending film festival submittal submission so we'll see when that wow gets seen probably will be like a year until people see or hear about that yeah um i also have uh my work on the mid-season finale for season three of defunct which i'm really excited for people to see i think people are gonna actually be like mind blown when that episode comes out mm-hmm by the uh, way, Kevin has been, I'm pretty sure we're thinking about the same thing here. Kevin has been hyping this on Twitter for yes. like the past month. And it's been, dude, it, it's been so long and I can't wait for that episode to come out. Yeah, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done on his end. Um, and um, uh, not really a spoiler because he's been sharing this, but like uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work that needs to be done with the full live orchestra that he hired for this episode <laughs> i'm telling you people are going to be like actually mind blown they're going to be like this is crazy like how did a youtube channel put this together we're really yeah. excited for people to see it so i have that and then right now i'm uh, writing my first feature script um which i will actually go back feature to movie done. a movie yes, or is it just a, a it's a horror film wow you're going rob zombie on us uh it's less rob zombie and it's more uh gremlins (laughs) oh okay uh, and ghostbusters it's it's like a fun funny short film but it is a horror film but it is scary yeah i can't can't wait for that now that you now that you mentioned that oh thank you for coming on we almost did an hour and uh hour and 30 here (laughs) that's insane feels like we just started matthew thank you for coming on uh I mean, your YouTube channel is just Matthew Serrano. If you're listening to this, you probably know who he is. But he's the director of uh, Live from the Space Stage. His new short film is out now. Do you want to plug that again? Yeah, go check out Grace Waller Phone. Go check out Live from the Space Stage, a Halix story. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Matthew underscore Serrano. And if you live in the NoHo area, the North Hollywood area, and you want to order some bread, I also have a bread-making Instagram. Oh, I forgot to ask you about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually had to make some breads for some customers uh, today, as a matter of fact. Oh, then you got to We got to end this quickly. (laughs) This outro has to go quick. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I have to pitch. uh, Okay. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It was really fun. You're a great question to ask. You're a great interviewer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll leave everything linked in the description below and uh, consider subscribing to me. It would make me a very happy man. Consider subscribing to Matthew and to Funkland. And I will see you in the next one. Have a magical day, everybody.